You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Thanks for tuning in. On today's show, we will be hearing expert advice from Joe Mazumdar. He is the editor, analyst, and publisher with Exploration Insights, a very well-respected newsletter. Joe has a lot of experience working in the mining industry, understands the economic side as well as the geological side. And every time I email with Joe, he's somewhere else in the world checking out the projects that he profiles in his newsletter firsthand. Our website is explorationinsights.com. I'll also have a link in the show notes. So, Joe, thanks for coming back on Mining Stock Education. I'm glad you took the time to speak with me today. And uh, for the first question, I heard two different viewpoints from two people I respect. One articulated that for good projects, there is money there because it's good projects. And then another well-respected person in my mind said, no, for good projects, it's still tough to get money because of the trends of the passive investing via the ETFs that even some of these good junior miners with good projects can't get money. What are your thoughts here? Again, thanks for having me. But with respect to projects, I see an issue in, let's say, the single asset developer class that there's retail money for exploration up to a point uh, because in 2019, the amount of financing and the the dollars per transaction was low, even though it picked up near the end of May when the gold price was picking up. We've seen lots more financing, but uh, it's almost like, you know, you've been down so long, it looks like up to me sort of thing. Uh, but there's a there's a haves and have nots, but the money hasn't been there, I don't think, as much for the developers uh, because the retail industry, I think, is less uh, retail investors are less interested in that side. They're more interested in the speculative exploration rather than the de-risking mode of development. And then if you take that other theme you were talking about in terms of institutional equity, passive versus active, the reduction of active investment in the mining sector, because the ETF does not actually take part in any private placements, a lot of money from generalists has been flowing more into that than active funds, such that the shrinkage of the active funds have left some of these development plays uh, you know, uh, uh, isolated because uh, uh, there's no money for them. Um, and so to take the next step is more difficult right now in the current environment for a lot of the developers. But for some commodities like copper and uranium, could it, for the speculator that's focusing on the resource sector, could it be more wise potentially to buy like a next gen at this low price versus an exploration uh, uranium junior? And could the same thing be said for copper right now? I, I would say uranium and copper are at, at two different parts of their individual cycles. Like in terms of a commodity, uranium uh, is low. I mean, it's $25, $26 per pound. But the, the issue is that there's a significant overhang of inventory. And until uh, um, I see any kind of long-term contracts being signed at an incentive price that drives people to actually make any money, which is well over 40 bucks per pound, it's hard to say that the uranium market is fixed. 
if you want to uh, get exposure to a turnaround, I would say something like NextGen is you know one of the better developers out there. But as soon as the market turns, what are they going to look for? They're going to look for money. Um, another option would be something like a yellow cake where they're buying uh, you know uh, pounds of uranium uh, from my, I believe uh, Kazakhstan at about 25 to 26 bucks per pound. And so they'll have a store of uranium uh, for when the market turns. And when the market turns, they wouldn't have to ask for money. They would just sell their uranium. So that might be a better way to play it, uh, potentially, uh, than a next gen. But I can understand, um, you know, the idea of, of next gen as well. You know, another thing that's happening in the uranium market is, you know, the controversy around uh, potentially this um, current U.S. administration uh, setting up a strategic stockpile of uranium. And there's rumors that they've set aside uh, money to do that. And so that might be a boon for local U.S. producers, uh, which might be a short term play for some. And then when it comes to copper, do you have any thoughts to share on the same dynamic in the copper equities? Yes. I mean, copper is a bit different because, um, you know, it's it's got a little bit more appeal because of electric vehicles or even hybrids and the uh, additional loading that's required in copper and individual vehicles, uh, which has more of a growth story uh, for copper than uh, uh, than uranium right now. And there's less of an overhang right now. I mean, the market right now in copper is is balanced, but the problem right now on the supply side is there's a hole with respect to the pipeline going forward. And, and that's why you will see a lot more exploration for copper by big diversified companies. So there's definitely, if you have a very good copper asset that could move the needle for, um, uh, for a producer, there's a good chance that you'll find a strategic partner pretty quick. Uh, and you would also potentially find uh, find money. So the copper sector is a bit different uh, than the uranium sector, and I, I much prefer to invest in that one right now than uranium. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well-capitalized has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. Joe, as you know, we've seen Newmont and Barrick selling off some assets. So my question deals with the, the combined joint venture they have in Nevada, uh, the Nevada Gold Mines. If someone is looking at a depressed uh, gold developer in Nevada, the price is a lot less than it has been in previous years, and they're thinking, okay, this could be a good buyout target for the major miners there in Nevada. How far out would a potential buyout, a Newmont or a Barrick, buy a development project in Nevada, considering that they've been selling off a lot of assets and some expect that they could even continue to sell off more? Well, a lot of what's being sold is outside of Nevada. 
like uh, uh, both Barrick and Newmont sold uh, the Kalgoorlie Consolidated Gold uh, Mines, uh, which is KCGM, in Western Australia. They both sold their half of that. Um, uh, Newmont sold uh, the Red Lake asset that they acquired from Gold Corp. Uh, but right now, Newmont is saying that they're not in a fire sale and they're not going to be selling anymore right now. They sort of put the brakes on that. Barrick uh, is has sold, um, you know, KCGM, but also the Masawa gold deposit in Mali. So right now, I'm not seeing a lot of selling in Nevada because I think it's going to take them a while and they're doing it now to realize all those synergies because that's what the market's looking for. And so their big focus is in capitalizing on all those synergies between the facilities, the processing facilities and the reserves that they build up to generate, uh, you know, the biggest win for that combined joint venture. So that's their focus in terms of acquiring. They don't really the easy uh yeah, you know, uh, low-hanging fruit for them is is within that joint venture rather than outside. So, I wouldn't see that joint venture acquiring anything new right now. The problem outside of that joint venture is now a potential company that's you know got a sulfide asset, which a uh, Carlin type, uh, not oxide but sulfide asset. You know, the definition of the Carlin type is is the gold is very fine. And it lies within uh, what we call Arsenian pyrite. And uh, those deposits are refractory in the sense that you have to uh, have another process like uh, a pre-oxidation circuit to get it out, which is expensive, takes a while to permit. And all the facilities are not owned by Barrick and Newmont. Now you have one less person to talk to. Now you can only talk to the Nevada joint venture which is run by Barrick and so you can't play them against each other anymore you can only play one so it makes it a bit more difficult uh, for companies outside uh, the joint venture to uh, I think potentially get acquired unless they find something significant. Joe I read your letter end of the year letter and your nearly half of your portfolio you said was in prospect generators do you expect that to change that percentage to go down as the gold bull market continues to progress? Um, the thing is about prospect generators, it's all about financing. So if the financing risk is elevated, prospect generation is more appealing, I believe, to the retail market. And when the uh, financing risk is diminished, it's less appealing because the retail market wants 100% of the asset uh, and to own it. Uh, I personally, in 2019, have seen, uh, you know, what's happened with financing. And again, it's haves and have nots. Uh, some people have gotten finance, other people have gotten nothing. So I don't think that the prospect generator model is essentially broken because I think there's still financing risk out there. And the way I think about expiration, I don't think about it as a six month to 12 month cycle. It's I mean, it's five to 10 years uh, for some of these. So I'm more focused on the management teams in these uh, in these companies to say that I will continue to hold them because I know that they will actually, you know, construct a good joint venture or find something new. You just need to be patient. And uh, I prefer to own things that I already am comfortable with the management team than the first thing that I'm looking for is trying to dissect the management team and find out how I'm going to get screwed. So uh, 
I still, I still like the prospect generator model in the sense that, you know, it's going to be funded. There's good people behind it. You know, if you pick the right company, uh, and it's a long-term play, you know, uh, and then the share structure stays relatively tight. For a pure exploration company and not a prospect generator, do you would you consider investing in a pure exploration company when they're only going to be putting drills results out one once a year because of where their project is located? Yes, and I have some of those. And so when I see a a, a project that's working on something that I think might get taken out because it is high grade. It's in a good jurisdiction. I mean, and by good jurisdictions, I mean by a place that somebody's willing to operate or there's people already operating there. It doesn't have to always be Nevada, let's say. And, and, and then say, okay, is the mineralization going to be continuous? Or is, there, is there a continuity to it? Is there upside potential where they're looking? Uh, have they got an idea of the geological model? Are there good people with with relevant experience running the exploration program. So yes, absolutely. With that, yes, I, I could absolutely put uh, my back behind something like that. But a one whole wonder, uh, uh, less so. Because uh, then I'm chasing after, do they understand the geology? Uh, did they drill right down the structure? Um, you know, uh, are they just putting out this hole because they're gonna raise money and then drill the same hole over again? So I want to avoid that sort of thing. I'd like to get your thoughts on some various commodities. If we could start with zinc. Uh, zinc sold off in the last uh, couple of years. What do you think about zinc and any uh, zinc juniors? Well, I, I mean, I've owned a pair of zinc juniors that I was a bit reluctant to sell, but I, I wasn't sort of uh, uh, enamored by the zinc market. And so I, I did sell to and uh, one was a developer like um, a Tinka Resources that, you know, after I sold, did do a, 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 a did do a private placement by a strategic, and that was good for them uh, because the the market really wasn't there for them for another equity raise that they needed, and they really needed some financial backing because they had the scoping study. They probably wanted to move to um, a, uh, like a PFS potentially a pre feasibility study, but. The market really wasn't there for them to fund it. And so by having somebody like Buenaventura in the picture, that helps them a lot. Um, and that's the kind of backing they need. Uh, but right now, in this current market, I'm not super keen on investing in a company that's just looking for zinc. Do you follow the tin market at all? Uh, not so much, but I've heard you know, people talking about the tin uh, commodity and uh, it could be very useful in um you know in the uh in the future with uh, more electrification but uh i i am i am sort of wary of some markets that are very small uh and and you know that that's an issue for lithium as well it's a very small market that you're asking to be very big uh each asset has to be looked at uh individually like you can get caught up with the leverage idea that everything that's anybody that's into tin and you know, or a few years ago that's into lithium is going to go up. But then you realize that asset by asset, the investment strategy changes from being about leverage or a beta play to more about alpha and specific companies and specific management teams. And that's really where you are with the lithium sector. And uh, and eventually that's where you're going to get with, uh, you know, with tin. So if you're going to look for something in these small sort of um, uh, 
uh, industries or sectors uh, like tin or lithium, then you, you would really have to do a lot of due diligence on the individual company to make sure that they, they survive uh, through the cycles. And your thoughts on tin, I would assume, would be applicable to something like graphite as well. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, very small sort of um, industries, uh, uh, you know, they could go up, they can go down uh, quite easily. And, and the problem that I have as well is with all the talk of electrocations, EVs and stuff like that, I try to look for commodities that despite the change in technology, you would still need that commodity. So yes, there's a lot of lithium out there, but lithium will be in all the batteries as far as I can see technologically. So if I can find the right lithium asset that you know, is close to infrastructure, can feed the battery market. Yes, that looks good. Uh, nickel seems to be going up in terms of concentration with uh, some of these batteries. Um, so, so then if I'm looking for nickel, yes, I, I need that sort of soup to nuts. Okay, they can build it, but is there a battery manufacturer that's, that uh, can take the material with the offtake? And so I'm interested in nickel. Copper makes a lot of sense because no matter what, it's not dependent on the battery technology because all the copper is going to go into the car. And so the extra loading of the car is important. And then in the interim, between electric vehicles coming in 2025 plus, you know, the emission standards have just gotten a lot more strict. So it doesn't matter whether you believe in climate change or whether this is anthropological or or not the the issue is that the that the world is changing and changing their policies uh to reduce uh, uh the greenhouse gas emissions and so if that's the case how do you lever yourself to that and you know lithium you got to be very specific on the asset um and nickel copper and in between, because of hybrid vehicles, palladium. And that's why we've seen, you know, the jump on palladium prices. And palladium was one of the, the only commodity that beat the S&P 500 in the last decade. And, and that's because of the loading of palladium, because of the catalytic converters. And most of these are, you know, internal combustion engines. Are you still bullish on palladium? Yes. I mean, the thing is that, you know, the, these engines will still get it, be, uh, be produced. But, you know, their emission standards will change. So if you still want to drive these, you know, the, the thing is that uh, you're going to need uh, more palladium to maintain the emission standards. And so um, automakers are being forced to do that. And then, you know, there's an opportunity potentially for substitution if palladium gets too high. Uh, uh, but, you know, there's a cost for substitution uh, that each uh, car manufacturer would have to consider. Uh, but right now, I mean, the emission standards uh, are are there and potentially getting more strict. And in the intermediate time, the electric vehicles are being produced, but the penetration is going to be, you know, to the point where we might not see, you know, uh, that happening until 2025. But in the intermediate, how do you lever yourself to these stricter emission standards. Well, you know, palladium, um, as we've seen, you know, over the last year or so is where it's going. And, you know, they're draining the inventories of palladium and there's just not a lot of uh, uh, good projects. I would suggest to your listeners, you know, if you want a stock that you just sit on, 
and you believe, you know, in, in this electric future, um, a company that's, uh, you know, that's, that's very liquid, uh, that is exposed to nickel, copper, and palladium would be Norilsk uh, with their asset uh, in Russia. And it trades as an ADR in, uh, in, in the States. I mean, if you want just to buy one and forget about it, that, that would be the one. The Russian jurisdiction doesn't concern you? I mean, it, it, it does with respect to ESG issues, but that stock's done well and it's a high performance asset. It's, it's, and it pays a dividend, I think about eight to 10%, you know, so uh, the, the Russian thing would, uh, you know, be problematic, uh, you know, but it's, it's owned by Russians and it's a very high grade deposit, you know, uh, it is what it is. I mean, I don't put it in the letter just because it's so big that, it's almost like owning an ETF or a better. <laughs> so uh, there's no, not much point, uh, but it's an ETF that pays dividends. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. The company is focused on its Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, where there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver. The Candelaria Mine historically was the highest grade silver producer in Nevada, generating over 68 million ounces of silver at an amazing average production rate of over 1,250 grams per ton. The project has tremendous expansion potential as past drilling has outlined deeper, high-grade silver targets for future drill programs. Silver One is highly leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. Another metal that's gone up like a rocket is rhodium. What do you make of rhodium and how would you play that? Well, it's hard to play rhodium specifically because you really have to play the PGMs because there's specific deposits that host these PGMs, meaning platinum group metals, and they include platinum, palladium, and rhodium and several others. But really the ones that have moved the most has been palladium and more so rhodium. Um, rhodium occurs in the same sort of types of deposits, these big ultra-mafic layered intrusions like you get in Norilsk or like you get in South Africa. And uh, most of these occur as byproducts to these uh, other deposits. It's harder to find, um, maybe impossible to find something that's just rhodium specifically. The way to get exposure to it would be to uh, look at the same you know, PGM deposits that have uh, higher grades of rhodium. And, and, and also when you think about it, I mean, this is a key is that, you know, when you're thinking about something that's not gold or silver, gold and silver are fungible because most companies produce gold and silver, like, like they produce gold bars. Whereas when you produce a platinum group metal or copper or nickel or any of these other deposits, you produce an intermediate product. You don't produce the final product. So it's really when you have to look at the individual metallurgy of the product that they're trying to sell and see if somebody's going to buy that product, which would be a smelter. You really got to think one step ahead because if they've got really good grade, great jurisdiction and all this, and then they produce uh, a product where the PGMs or whatever is in, but is not saleable, you're sort of dead in the water because no one's going to buy it. It doesn't matter. You know, so uh, really the retail sector's really got to look at that step because you're not producing 
that ultimate fungible product. You're producing an intermediate product, so you got to find out whether that product's actually saleable. Joe, one more commodity, please, and that would be tungsten. Any thoughts on tungsten? Uh, I'm sorry, you got me there. Okay, I don't know anything <laughs> either. Uh, well, then let me try another one. Rare earths. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a that's that's an interesting market in the sense that it's one of those like. Um, like potentially like uranium if they produce a strategic stockpile or any of these assets right now that people are looking at um, like within the states that are sort of thinking, well, you know, we don't have much exposure to it. We're dependent, you know, on a foreign com- country. Uh, uh, so maybe we should we should have our own production. And so that would be uh, the interest. And, but that would be more about playing legislation uh, than playing – uh, anything else. And it's hard to predict legislation and how governments change and whether that's still going to happen. So I, you know, usually I try to avoid overregulated commodities, you know, um, that uh, uh, somebody could regulate the profit out of. So I, I, I definitely, I, I sort of stay away from rare earths. Joe, as we conclude, based on your interactions with people at the different conferences you've presented at and feedback you get from your own subscribers, uh, what would be some of the most pertinent advice you could give my listeners for 2020? I I would say, you know, first start out thinking about what you want to expose yourself to and have a longer time horizon than just one year, depending on where you are. Uh, Pick your commodities. You know, don't pick everything under the sun, but... uh, Pick the ones that you like that uh, basically attach to a theme that you're comfortable with. And then when you're looking at the assets, think about the stage. Think about, you know, uh, are they funded to deliver these catalysts? What's going to make the stock go up, you know, uh, over the next six to 12 months? And uh, does the management team give you confidence that if the stock actually goes down, you'll buy more rather than having to sell more? So, it's it's a lot of things that it's just a matter of due diligence but you know i like to in the end own a portfolio of stocks where i'm pretty confident that none of the companies in it will embarrass me you've been listening to joe mazumdar the editor of exploration insights the website is explorationinsights.com and you can go there there's educational resources and if you're looking for specific guidance in investing and navigating the resource sector uh, joe has an excellent letter and you can find more information at explorationinsights.com as always joe thanks for your time and thanks for coming on the show today i appreciate it all right thank you bill Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too
I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks, don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can, do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met, you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.